Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion podcast exploring the most critical challenges for venture-backed tech entrepreneurs along the startup, grow-up, and scale-up journey. Every two weeks, we speak to founders, experts, and venture capitalists from around the world about their experiences. Hi, I'm Paul, still running our Pain of Scale episodes recorded before the COVID crisis. Today, we are going to talk about SaaS metrics with Pavla Muzarova. You might remember that in episode two of this series four of Pain of Scale, we had Matt Weller, the CEO of Muse. This time, we're having the VP Finance of Muse. And once more, this is an episode that stays very relevant today. When she talks about how tough it is to manage cash in a hyper-growth startup, obviously managing cash in a crisis is as well, and there's a lot of lessons to be learned there. She also talks a lot about the empowering of your company, of your business, with actual readable insights on the metrics and the measure that matter the most. Something that in a time of crisis is perhaps even more important as you have to run a tight ship and try to make fast-paced decisions about the future of your business. So let's listen to this fantastic episode with Pavla, where you're going to be able to hear Stephen as well. Let's go. And hello, one more episode and a new topic. I'm very curious because we've been running this series with always the same topics over and over. This is not entirely new, but was it an omission to not having had covered this in the past? And tell us what the topic is, Stephen. Yeah, look, we're going to be talking about unit economics. And I, I honestly don't know why. Um, <laughs> I, I, we haven't covered this in the past. I, and my simple brain likes to work in kind of, you know, matrices. And I kind of had this toss up between should I do pricing or unit economics? And I felt that there's a lot of talk about unit economics, but historically there hadn't been much about pricing. So True. I decided to go with the pricing topic, which yep, we just in the did. Previous yep. episode with Peter Zotto, but we're going to break out the unit economics. And I think, well, it's a big oversight on my behalf, but that's no, fine. no, don't worry, don't worry. Um, <laughs> and, but it's a critical, critical topic. And you know, SaaS businesses are are complex. They're recurring revenue streams, and any profit or contribution that a SaaS company is going to make from a customer is rarely going to be received in the first year. So it's based upon building recurring revenue streams and therefore understanding the fundamental underlying unit economics of, you know, how much does it cost to acquire a customer? How much of the the revenue from that customer is contribution after gross margin and other costs? How long do we keep them for? Mm -hmm. To what extent can we grow the revenue associated with that? customer is absolutely fundamental to the underlying economic viability of a SaaS company. And, you know, back in the day when we were innovating around SaaS, it was, it was relatively straightforward. You know, it was just a per user subscription, so yep. an ARPU number. But now we've got businesses who have multiple revenue streams and different value drivers that could be transactional plus subscription. So this is going to become an increasingly critical topic. And that's why we wanted to explore this. And so what do we have to open that new topic? That that's a great on? question. So I sat down <laughs> with our financial controller and I said, look, I'm going to focus on this topic. Who's got the best insights into this in the portfolio? And he said, Pavla. Pavla Munzarova, 
who's the VP of finance at Muse. And I mean, she might be surprised at that, but you know, sometimes <laughs> people don't know how good they are at, at something. And um, Will was saying, you know, fundamentally, this team really, really think has given a lot of thought to this. So I'm looking forward to that, the conversation, Pavla. And I'll just do a little bit of an intro. So, so Muse is a Prague-based company, property management system for hotels. It's growing super, super fast. They're serving thousands of hotels around the world. And their business model really encompasses that more sophisticated SaaS model that we talked about. You know, it's got subscriptions. It's got transactional payments. It's got third-party apps via a marketplace. I'm sure there's other things they're thinking about from a monetization perspective. Those, no doubt, give Pavla some really interesting challenges that I'm looking to learn more about. So, Pavla, welcome and thank welcome, you for yes. being our guinea pig. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. No, it's a pleasure. So Pavla, look, with one such fast growth, but also with a relatively complex business model, how do you really get your head around and measure underlying capital efficiency? Yeah, I think the key is really the detailed tracking that we need to have for this. Because more the model is, is complex, the more detailed tracking you need to have. And in our case, really, when you were saying all of these revenue types and streams, we really have any pricing you can imagine. We have subscription fees, which are flat per month, subscription fee per space. We have commission-based revenue, depending on the volume of payments within our clients. We have also transactional fees, flat fees basically per transaction. So there is really pretty much anything you can imagine. And in our case, if you want to track all of this, you need to automate it. So I would say that the technology is really the main part and something that we definitely had to focus on. And like in terms of the tracking, it was quite hard to come up with something or external system where we would be able to fit all of these data in. So we have to basically develop our own new subscriptions within our own product where we just input all of these data in the, in the beginning at the moment the deal is signed and which is then measuring everything for us and calculating all the fees. The other part, though, is that you need to connect all of these revenue with the related costs, right, to be able to then measure everything. So we are really booking all of the revenues with the full detail. So all of this information based on revenue models, based on client subscriptions, and really the biggest detail, we're then whole importing it fully into accounting software. That's the part about it. Like you need to have this automated to be able to track it. So I think technical things behind it are very important. We use one central database so that every software that we have in the company is connected to it. So that way we really have all of the data on one place and we're then able to analyze it properly. We use Power BI for that, which we love. We might have even way too many dashboards. <laughs> we might need to consolidate it lately, I'm afraid. But yeah, it's working pretty well for us. And then what is important, of course, is the metrics choice. So from our point of view, there are some metrics that you want to track externally to gain and have benchmarks in place and, and to be able to compare to other SaaS companies. But there are also things that you need to analyze with your own metrics and, and your own KPIs that we often come up with. So with such a growth and, and new products and new projects that are coming in, 
we're also coming up with our own internal metrics and we are being quite creative <laughs> doing that. I will come back to which metrics you absolutely obsess about, but but I just wanted to just touch off on one other kind of fairly big topic, and it's not necessarily kind of unit economics related, but kind of really more about cash flow challenges mm-hmm. and management. Because yeah. You know, recurring revenue businesses, you're spending all of the acquisition cost, a big chunk of acquisition cost up front. Even when you've won the customer, it might be, you know, months or quarters before you're starting to kind of generate any revenue. And then, you know, any real contribution is going to be second, third, fourth year. So how do you manage cash flow in that scenario? And how do you recommend that kind of financial leaders think about that? Yeah, and we were exactly there, I think, before the round with, with Notion, I think. Back in 2016, when I started with News, this was one of the like biggest projects for me and for the team to put this all together. And I think the key is to know your actuals and to know them really deeply and well. So for me, most important part is to put everything down, uh, have a look, create a weekly report, all of the inflows that you have, all of the outflows, everything that you're paying out, try to group it, even put it down like by importance, by how often you're paying what and when, check properly what you need to pay on weekly basis, on monthly basis, so that you're sure that you don't pay earlier than you have to. But then also the other way around, you need to be on top of your receivables and receivable management. So getting everything, all of the inflows in as early as possible, maybe even think about prepayments for the clients, offering discounts for prepayment for maybe a year or two or three even. So this would be the first part to analyze where you are and then plan the cash flow properly. So I would say you really want to have the accounting refreshed so that like real time is the best but it's not always possible but keeping a close eye on this and having look to upcoming weeks to know what is coming on and also where are the risky parts and having a backup plan to know that okay if i'm not getting this inflow what i can postpone in the payments and really staying on top of it and i think the cash flow planning is even more crucial than budgeting or you know reporting really in the early stages it is one of the the fundamental aspects of a business make sure you have the cash to fund the growth yeah. and venture back business like yours which is growing so super fast that's a, mm-hmm. a critical part of the role can we get into a couple of the details about the metrics that you and the leadership team kind of obsess about the SaaS metrics in particular? Yeah, definitely. There are so many, <laughs> to be honest. But in the end, we end up consolidating them and we're looking really on the basics mainly. The main one, I guess, for everybody is, is monthly recurring revenue. So we look at MRR in different forms. We are splitting it per product, per revenue model. We're also looking at MRR in different stages. So we're looking at from the point of view on what's being signed, but also what's being onboarded because for our business, we usually sign a customer at one stage and then only two months later, we're onboarding them and we see merchant revenue coming in or marketplace revenue coming in. So we're analyzing this gap in between these two phases to be sure that nothing gets delayed. We're looking at margins, gross margins, net margins, margins per product. Yeah, I'm 100% sure that everybody in the company, not only leadership team, will tell you what is what is the margin and where are the issues. We're looking at customer acquisition costs, not only per client or per average client, but also revenue acquisition costs. Given our client revenues can differ 
one by one and there are different sizes. Burn rate, of course, is an important one, I guess, for, for every Series B company out there. And then we have another bulk of metrics, which is merchant product specific metrics, which are around payments. And a lot of these we have to came up ourselves. I think the most important ones are average volumes that are being processed per day. Because in our case, we see seasonality within our clients. So hotels are having just higher ADRs and higher occupancies in the summer months, right? And that's also having influence on our revenues that, that we recognize. So we need to be looking at this really closely and checking it per territory, which right now we are in uh, 55 countries around the world, right? And like all, wow. of these, yeah, <laughs> all of these like seasonalities are different in each of them. Also, there are different business segments. There are leisure guests, corporate guests. So that will be different and that will have influence on that. So we need to be pretty granular at this point. In summer, the prices go up. I'm not sure if that will happen this year. We will see now with the current situation. But this is something that we really need to be looking at. So that's part of it. We're also looking at interchange rates and bank fees that we are paying and we're invoicing in the end because that has an influence too. And lately, or like a couple months ago, we also came up with our own MPI. We call it Merchant Performance Index, where we're looking at the share of wallet of the customers and also their total payment volumes that they are processing. And based on that, we can measure clients between each other and we normalize the values. So the index can achieve between one and 10. So it's super simple for account managers to have a look. Yeah, this hotel just dropped down. We should figure out what's going on and then yeah, do some management decisions around it and try to get it back. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting kind of way to think about it. I suppose what you're really helping your account managers to understand is what's the revenue, well, upside and downside within an existing customer. And that's great clarity for those teams, isn't it? Yeah. Can you just break the kind of some of the unit economics down? Mm -hmm. The starting point is kind of CAC and payback for me. It says, you know, how much do I spend on acquiring a customer? What's the average order value on that customer? And how quickly do I pay back that cost of acquisition? You're going into a lot of granularity in 55 countries and multiple different segments. But just maybe at a general level, how are you measuring payback? And then how critical is that to your go-to-market strategy? So there are a couple of things that we need to look at in terms of the CAC payment. And we really need to decompose it to one by one because like we look at CAC payback as well, but we always end up analyzing it one by one. And the most important one for us is CAC, really. We're looking at, let's say, external and internal CAC. One would be the one, the classic one, where you just take the total marketing and sales and marketing cost, and you just simply divide it by the number of subscriptions that were created in the, in the system within the same time period, right? This one we use to see benchmarks, to see the trends month by month. But then when we dig deeper into it, we figure out that with our growth rate and with the expansion that we're going through right now, it's just increasing, growing faster than we would expect. And it's because we just have to hire all these salespeople, which takes time before you see them actually bringing the deals in, right? So it's two, three months before they get trained. It takes some time before they get the pipeline. It takes some time before the signed client actually receives their subscription and that account is created. So in this way, 
the costs are just happening earlier than we see that that subscriptions created. So what we did is that we mapped out the full commercial costs. We split them in the groups. So we're looking at account management separately, marketing separately, events, and all of these. And then we're saying, how long does it take for this cost to occur or between it occurring and gaining the customer? And then within this calculation, we're like postponing them so that we see the real effect of the CAC and how it's behaving in time. So that helped us a lot. So that's that's for CAC. You're bringing on a lot of salespeople and there is that big ramp up. How do you take into account the, the ramp up in productivity of salespeople into calculating CAC? Yeah, we just count it in for now because it's kind of an investment from our side, right? Yeah. Beginning. So we're counting with this, let's say, six months period. And we are recognizing this basically by quota that we give to the sales manager. So the first three months, we don't give them any targets for sales. So the first three months, we don't expect any ramp up. And then a slow ramp up in upcoming the next three months. So we're saying 25, 15, and 75%. And after these six months, we're already counting that this person will deliver 80% of their quota. That's how we plan and how we compare it. Yeah. So that's for CAC. And then the other part is the average revenue per client. In our case, it really depends how big the client is. So we can have small hotels around 20 rooms, but we can also have huge ones, 150, 200 rooms, and then chains versus individual properties. So that's very sensitive. It depends on our client segmentation, which we lately work on quite heavily, and we want to create more focus around this. But this is influencing the measures a lot. What we see lately is that we are signing more and more bigger customers and also for higher and higher prices which is obviously having us, helping us with this measure. But basically, that's the biggest driver, really, that we are looking at. Obviously, the gross margin is a key part of that. And you mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. that you're, you're looking at gross and net margin. When you're thinking about kind of calculating payback, how much of the recurring cost do you attribute to the revenue to give you the kind of the true margin that is contribution? What recurring costs do you mean? Like, what costs do we recognize as recurring to direct costs and which ones would be overheads? Yeah, the difference between recurring costs that you could attribute to revenue and then, yeah, yeah, fixed costs. So for us, the direct cost would be server costs, customer support, and mainly technical customer support costs. Account management, we account impartially because part of their job is also to upsell and generate revenue. So that would be only part of it. And then we would include any any like reseller commissions, any yeah. really like yeah, percentage costs on the revenue that is related to revenue directly. So these are the main parts for our platform margin. And then we recognize merchant margin, where that's quite simple. It's all the payment fees, right? So we are paying fees to our payment gateway providers, but also interchange and scheme fees that would all come up to the section of the piano. You mentioned, obviously, the segmentation of the customers is, is critical in terms of your go-to-market strategy, and it can have very profound impact in terms of customer acquisition, average order value, gross margin, mm-hmm. et cetera. I'm interested, to, to what extent do your, your sales teams understand this? To be honest, we're just starting with this. So it's quite a new initiative. So, of course, they understand. Like, The typical split that we're doing now is the small, medium, and large customers, or bronze, silver, and gold. 
we call it, where the small ones would be really the small customers up to 30 hotel rooms, which are even able to sell online. So we have an online team in London who is calling customers and really specializing on these small ones. Then there are typically individual properties or chain properties as well, but mainly the individual properties, which we are selling locally. So basically the sales team is already knowing which segment they're going after, right? So all these are usually being sold in the local territories and the local entities and sales offices. And then we have the enterprise segment, which is mainly the chains. So this would be the global ones, like enterprise segments, we call it, which we have to sell from the headquarter because it's multiple locations around the world. And that's that's completely different one. So we've talked about CAC. We've talked mm-hmm. about average order value, segmentation and, and payback. So next is, do we keep the customers? And so how, I'm just interested how you measure logo and revenue churn. In our case, for revenue churn, it gets quite complex. Yeah, there is, there is platform fees, which everybody is paying. And then merchant, where somebody can be using merchant more, somebody less, somebody for all of the transactions, right? So that depends. And then marketplace, where it's completely up to them which integration that they subscribe to. So from our point of view, we're mainly looking at the platform churn because that's basically the mandatory revenue and that's also how we look at the contracted revenue value at this phase, at this stage. So we're mainly looking at this. For Virgin, it's a little different and like we're lucky that we don't have a big churn really, like relatively to how we're expanding, how we're growing and we're really doubling plus three years every year we don't have that big churn so it's not like the completely main focus and in merchant we haven't seen actually that many clients that would be turning off the product completely what we actually see is that they are increasing the share of wallet so within the revenue churn like it doesn't make much sense for the payment gateway to measure it so that's probably slightly different from typical SaaS companies so it's mostly kind of on logo churn and or subscription churn that you would you would focus on yeah yeah exactly so we're looking at this like looking at the clients that's a simple calculation right we're using the classic one we're also looking at different reasonings behind it so we are logging this into our CRM and and checking and then account management basically is incentivized to to be taking care of these. So that then adds the next part, okay, CAC, payback, kind of churn slash retention. But what about net revenue retention or as sometimes called DRR or, or revenue expansion that says, okay, I, I won the customer in year one, it was worth this. And now in year two, it's worth that plus 10%, plus 20%, whatever it yeah. might be. That's quite a complex challenge when you've got you know, transactional revenue and plus subscription revenue plus marketplace revenue. But it's such an important part of the underlying capital efficiency, especially when you externalize that to a future investor. So how are you accounting for that and showing revenue expansion? Yeah, we're using cohort analysis really on this. We build this via Power BI, everything, almost everything. So almost real time, we're having these data and, and looking at it. So depending on when the client joined and how long are they with us, we're just displaying this in one big table, basically. And what is important about this is that we have one big consolidated one 
But the issue or the challenge that they're facing is that is the seasonality of the merchant revenue, right? So we have to be normalizing in and um, looking differently at the summer months and the winter months. So there are some calculations behind it as well. But also the important part are the platform revenues. So we have all these different filters so we can have a look at it with different details. So in the end, we end up looking at them like business unit per business unit and territory and territory and separately one by one. There are two approaches how we look at this. One would be really the revenue recognition and the data pulled from our accounting software. That way we're sure that everything matches and that we are really invoicing what we are recognizing in the bookings. And that also requires some cleanup. So we're checking credit notes and everything, cleaning up the data, and then looking really at the nets. And then on the other hand, we are comparing it with the reports that we have from our CRMs. And we're looking how much are the upsells, where do we have the most of the expansion per business unit, per territory, really, where I think is the key. Just take a slight tangent to that, which is, what is it you don't know that you really wish you did? <laughs> Sorry, I should probably kind of bring that specifically as we're relating to underlying kind of capital efficiency of the business. What really bugs you that you just, you just can't get your hands around from a, a unit economics perspective? The biggest pain is around the market data, I feel. So it's the metrics around merchant. What I wish we had more info about. It's just the market and the seasonality around hotels and their average prices. That's the most important part and really the biggest driver. So that's something that is influencing the business the most. And, and we wish that we would be looking at that. Yeah. But other than that, like all of the data that we have and are available within our business, like we, ha- we have everything, right? We have full information. Mm-hmm. So we're able to analyze it. But like the market data, yeah, that's the biggest struggle um, because you just don't know how, how the occupancy or seasonality is going to look like in Australia in four months. The, the interesting thing about when I talk to some of the CFOs across the portfolio, they, they always kind of have, there's these two ways of thinking about the CFO role. One is from a control and minimizing risk perspective and you know making sure we don't run out of cash and, and making sure that we're managing all of the, the expenditure and everything else. But the other side of your job, is, of course, is how do you actually enable the business to invest for growth? So yeah. how do you kind of bring all these things together and say, how do you then help the business to figure out how, where, and when to grow? Yeah, yeah, this is definitely the most important part. And myself, I love analyzing data, maybe too much, which might might be the reason why we have so many metrics and so many dashboards in the first place. But I think the most important thing is the presentation and creating the focus to the business. So that's why we're trying to achieve having everything visualized in Power BI and giving everybody access to the data. So within our finance team, we have three data analysts that are creating all of these dashboards and graphs and infographics, and also helping with, with other automation. And we created this open database with a full transactional breakdown for anybody that wants to have a look at it. So it's public to the whole company. Anyone can look and see the full detail of the underlying data. And it refreshes on a daily basis. So it's always fresh. And not only for revenues, but also for the cost. 
So, for example, if anybody in the company would like to see how much I spent on expense report past two days in London, they can. <laughs> and they can basically check, check anybody, probably. So that's, that's one thing. Also, managers are having immediately insights of the data and they see immediately how much they are spending within the team. And then they see the comparison with the plans. So they know, oh my God, my CAC, my part of the CAC is increasing. I should be doing something about it. But yeah, in the end, it's about giving focus because it's hard when you have so much data to then see like what to focus on specifically. So that's why our controlling team is having calls with all of the HODs and all of the budget owners and they're advising and showing and presenting the data, telling them, explaining the metrics behind it showing them where they can improve, what can be done better. So I think that that helps tremendously. Like we're already seeing everyone asking about budgets and stuff, which I'm super happy about. <laughs> and then we also have a financial results channel. It's a company-wide channel and where we share MRR results every first in the month. And we also created a financial scorecard where we really chose only the top 10 to 15 metrics that are just simply in one table. These are the actuals. This is where we should have been. And this is green or red. So everybody can really see what we're focusing on. And I think that's very important too. I think it's one of the most powerful things, isn't it? If you can really help people to understand why this data, understanding this information is so important. Yeah, um, definitely. Then you really can achieve extraordinary things. So, well, Pavlo, this has been a really fascinating discussion. Thank you very much. Are there any last kind of thoughts or recommendations or suggestions you might have for somebody who maybe is about to face the journey you've just been on, which is kind of three years of two to three X growth year on year. I think from analysis or financial perspective, it's important to get it right from the beginning, technically set it up early, because I can see the struggle that we're having now after three years. If something is done from the basics, right, it's always much easier to keep it set up than starting something new. So I think... Look at the data early, invest into the softwares, automate as much as possible. And uh, really, it's better to have more data than less. And and the most important thing is really to take the data and analyze them and, and create the insights for the business, because that's that's the main purpose of the of the finance department. Thank you. That's been absolutely fantastic. And it has. Pavla, yes. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a really enjoyable <laughs> conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Thank so, you much. so much. Thank you. Remember, you can find an in-depth write-up of this interview along with the dozens and dozens we've done on the Notion website at notion.vc under resources. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify and Google Podcast. Thank you.